Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 28. We are continuing in Isaiah 28 today. And if you remember, Isaiah 28 begins a new section that talks about the folly of trusting in the nations. Folly of trusting in the nations. God had told the people that they should not make covenants, they should not make alliances with other nations, and that is what they have done. Both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah had both made their own alliances rather than trusting in the Lord. And this set of chapters that we're in the middle of looking at address that particular sin of trusting in the nations rather than trusting in the Lord and his word. Please stand when you have Isaiah 28, and we will begin reading in verse 7. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment, for all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk? Those taken from the breast? For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with foreign tongue the Lord will speak to this people, to whom he has said, this is rest, give to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. You may be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its guidance. We thank you that it speaks of great things, and it points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that today, as we look at this passage, that we would be pointed to him all the more, and that we would find everything we need in him. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world that despises the word of God. Now, that probably resonates very true with you. You know, most people care very little about what God has said in his word. However, that is also true among those who are supposed to be the people of God. That is also true among many churches. You know, very few churches have a focus on the Word of God. They may say that they do, but very few churches actually have a focus on the Word of God. You know, a lot of people say that they love God's Word, but they are, find this very dissatisfying. They want prophecies to their life that, that speak in ways that aren't so boring and wearisome as this Bible you have people who are dissatisfied with God's word gives, and so they want to turn for help from secular experts. You have all kinds of people who, though they call themselves Christian, though they say they love the word of God, find the word very boring, very useless, very wearisome. I was looking at a couple of studies among evangelicals, and I don't know what the requirements were to be counted as an evangelical, but it was a couple of studies that Lifeway and Barna had done, and they discovered that 11% of Christians have never read the whole Bible, and 14% do not read the Bible daily. We live in a world of just wonderful blessings in having this, and having this book in this form, having it in our pockets, having 
having God's word with more access than ever before. It's, it's practically falling down from heaven like manna, and yet we live in a famine. How is this possible? It's because so many despise the word of the Lord. Let me just give you one example of this. When I was in high school, the church that I went to, for the most part, considered itself a church that loved the word. And often, the point of the message was to look at the word. However, there was one Sunday where they decided they were going to take a break from looking at the word. And instead, they were going to bring in Tom Wilson. Does anyone know who Tom Wilson is? This is not the Puritan Thomas Wilson. It's a different guy. So Tom Wilson is an actor who's probably most famous for playing the role of Biff in Back to the Future. And so Tom Wilson came and gave a stand-up routine that occasionally said a few things about Jesus. And that was what we had that day instead of a preached message from the Word of God. And at the time, I had little discernment. I didn't realize there was anything wrong with that. I knew there were some older people in the church who had a problem with it, but I thought they were being old fuddy-duddies. I didn't understand what the issue was. But the more I have learned from Scripture, the more I realize how precious it is and how, how much one has to despise it to decide that on a Sunday you're going to replace it instead with a stand-up routine. This is a passage about how people feel about the word, that it is very wearisome. And God says that those who find his word wearisome, as it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy, it will indeed become wearisome to them as the judgments of it fall upon them. Those who say it is just precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, it will indeed become wearisome to them as the judgments fall upon them. But those who trust in this word those who are not turned away from it, those who do not find it boring, they will find rest for their souls. And ultimately, this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. He is the one who gives rest. He is the one who enacts judgment. He is the Word of the Lord. This is a, a, very, this is a very beautiful passage. This passage is somewhat mysterious, but at the same time has very clear meaning it has a little of both. You know, there's, it, there's very clear themes and emphases. At the same time, it's phrased in a way that's somewhat mysterious. And I really love this passage, and I fear today that I won't do it justice in presenting it to you. But let's look at this together, and I hope that you can see what it says about the Word of God. The Word is something that we should cherish, something where we should find rest, not something that we should find wearisome. Beginning with this, First verse, these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. Who is it that Isaiah is speaking of? There's a little bit of debate on this, but it's generally thought that at this verse, he switches to talking to the people of Judah. In verse 1, he had talk, spoken of the drunkards of Ephraim, that is the northern kingdom of Israel. At this point, I believe he switches to speaking to the drunkards of Judah, the drunkards of the southern kingdom of Israel. And I'd say that for several reasons. One, you see this focus on the prophet and priest. Judah is the one that has the true priesthood that's that's focused on the true temple. 
and it is, uh, it is Ephraim that has false worship. So as he, as he addresses the prophet and priest, it would make sense that he has particularly in mind those who should be true prophets and priests, those who should be here in the land of Judah. And then on top of that, you have in verse 15, it says, because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have an agreement. Now, later on in this passage, when it discusses this covenant of death and talks about that covenant coming and flooding over them, it very much sounds like the language of Isaiah 8. If you remember Isaiah 8, God promises to Ahaz that this covenant that he has made with, with Assyria will overwhelm him, Ahaz being the king of Judah. And so this, this covenant that he's made with Assyria will come and overwhelm him. It will come like a flood all the way up to his neck. So because a lot of this language seems very similar to the language of Isaiah 8, because of several of the emphases, I believe that uh, along with what would probably be a majority of uh, people who have really studied this passage, that, that this is talking about Judah. At this point, he transitions from talking about Ephraim, about the northern kingdom of Israel, to talking about Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. He says that these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. Now, who particularly? The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. The priest and the prophet, there are three offices in Israel, prophet, priest, and king. And these two are the ones that are the most religious, right? They're the ones that are the most important for the spiritual condition of Israel. Of course, the king is as well, but these are most directly in line with either representing God to the people as a prophet or representing the people to God as priest. And the people have no fit mediator. They have no fit priest. They have no fit word from the Lord, one to deliver God's word to them because prophet and priest are drunk. This may even be a real scene that Isaiah witnessed in the land of Judah. It may be that he saw tables full of vomit as prophet and priest who should be ministering the word of the Lord, who should be ministering for the people in the temple, are rather satisfying their own pleasures and becoming more and more senseless. You know, one who is to deliver the word of the Lord, one who is to represent the people to God, he is one who is supposed to be full of spiritual sense, and yet these are a senseless people. Now, if you are not one who drinks, do not think that you are in the clear. This is speaking of all sorts of spiritual senselessness, not simply those that come about by wine. There are many ways that people make, them spiritually sense, make themselves spiritually senseless. Yes, by wine and by alcohol, by drugs, but also by filling your mind with all sorts of things that the world has to distract away from the truth of God. We are to be a people who have much spiritual sense. We are supposed to be a people who know the word of the Lord, not a people who are dull to the word of the Lord. And yet this is what this people have become. And moreover, particularly the leaders of this people are so. You know, I was talking about how few churches uh, really care about the Word of God. If you think about just how many have expository messages, uh, it is not many that have expository messages. Expository preaching is where you're looking at a particular passage, drawing the meaning and applications from it, like we do here. A lot of people um, that I talk to seem to think expository preaching means that you're going 
uh, week by week through a particular book. That doesn't have to be how expository preaching is done. For example, I'd say Spurgeon was an expository preacher, but he, he was not consecutively uh, going through Scripture. Uh, anyway, so few churches, so few churches have a focus on the Word of the Lord, and why does that happen? It is because their leaders are spiritually senseless. Here you have the leaders of Judah being spiritually senseless. And, moreover, they're full of pride, just like in this passage we've read about Ephraim, full of pride about their, their glorious city and their beautiful valley, their places of worship. And they do not understand. They do not understand that they have nothing, that they uh, do not have more sense. They actually have less sense. This is a people who, in a moment, will mock anyone who follows Isaiah and his words as being childish, and yet they are the ones who are truly childish. It's a, generally a trope, this idea of the stone philosopher, you know, who's sitting there high, inebriated, and pontificating on all, all sorts of things. And what makes that scene humorous is the fact that he knows so very little. The things that he's saying that he thinks are so deep are so empty and meaningless. This is often what happens with religious leaders. Uh, they aren't going to the Word of God. They are instead going to other sources. They are instead satisfying their own pleasures and instead of delivering the Word of God to people. They are pontificating nonsense out of their own spiritual senselessness. So we must be Bereans. We must be the kind of people who do not uh, automatically trust anyone who has some title, anyone who uh, claims to be bringing the word of God, because so many people claim it, it is true of so few people. These are prophets, these are priests, these are people who truly hold that office. And are they sensible? Are they ones who are rightly leading the people? They are not. We must be those who go to the word of God and test anything that is taught by the word of God. In the next verse, verse 9, it says, To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little, there little. They are accusing anyone who would uh, go to Isaiah's word as essentially being childish. This is, you see this in quote marks here, this is most likely the prophets and priests speaking. Who is he supposed to teach? They see Isaiah's message as too wearisome, as too simple, as too uh, not, not sophisticated enough to accommodate their particular sin. You know, this is, this is often what happens. People have sin. They want to justify that sin. They don't like the word of the Lord because it speaks too clearly to the matter. And they don't like people who point to the word in such a way that it speaks too clearly to the matter. Right? They say, no, there's, you got to understand, you can't see everything in black and white. There's so much gray. Well, between someone who has good eyesight, someone who has poor eyesight, someone who has glasses, and someone not wearing their glasses, which one is the one that sees the clear black and whites, and which one is the one that sees the gray? It is, it is not the one with clear eyesight that sees the gray. Now, certainly, situations can be very complex. Situations can be complicated. But often, people speak like this, People despise the clear word of the Lord. People despise clear teaching the word of the Lord 
because they want to justify their own sin. They call it precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, so wearisome, so wearisome, all this word. Well, praise be to God, Matthew eleven twenty five says that God, while he blinds the wise, he opens the eyes of children. The word is for children. Indeed, it is for children. It is not merely for adults. It is not merely for the the high, those able to understand. We were talking in the confession class this morning, in the orientation class, about, uh, about how Roman Catholicism used to keep the word of God from the common people because they said it was only for those who were uh, educated, only for those who are intelligent enough to handle the word of God. But no, the word of God is for everyone. In fact, it is even for children, and he will open children's eyes. He will open your eyes if you come to scripture like a child, not treating it as something too low for you, but as something that is precisely for you. And consider, consider how it is that Isaiah must have been treated. Uh, he, is, he is teaching in a way according to his commission. Isaiah 6 said that his commission was to teach, was to preach this message so that the people's ears would become dull. In fact, he is giving, indeed, simple messages. He is preaching in a way, line upon line, here a little, there a little. This is something that uh, people would find, find boring. But yet, it is precisely what someone needs if they come to it with humility. Maybe you've even had this thought as we have gone to Isaiah. Uh, there is a lot of repetition in this book. I don't know what you think of the messages each week, but this book is what we need. We need the word of the Lord. And it doesn't matter. Uh, ultimately, you know, the preacher is not so important. God chose to use weak and fallen vessels to deliver his word, but it is the word itself that has the power. Not me, not any of the preachers here. It is the word of the Lord itself that has the power. So do not, uh, do not despise the preaching of the word. Often it is meant to be line upon line, here a little, there a little. So even if you find, even if you find the preaching of the word to be not to your satisfaction, remember that it's the word itself that has the value. And God has chosen to use means that sometimes might not be easy. He has chosen to use preaching to deliver his word. And as such, we should come to it wanting to have everything it offers. You know, we never grow beyond this word. We never grow to a point where we don't need it anymore. A lot of times, you'll see certain passages as being just milk, you know, just, this is just milk. Uh, a lot of, I believe uh, people abuse that verse in, uh, in Hebrews 6 and other places that speak of, uh, speak of teaching as milk to refer to uh, just the easy-to-understand un passages. I think it's talking about something else, uh, specifically a view of scripture apart from Christ. All scripture is deep. All scripture is deep. I remember as a kid, one of the first memory verses I learned was Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And then I, I memorized it. I had that memorized. In college sometimes, someone explained to me my belief that, so I believe that you could lose your salvation, how inconsistent it was with that verse the idea that you could lose your salvation if it's not of work so that no one can boast, then on what basis could you lose it? 
if you lose it, that means you have to maintain it. And I realized, wow, that, that really is inconsistent. I had memorized that verse. I knew that verse. I kept that verse in my heart. I, I thought it was a very easy verse and that, you know, I didn't need anyone to explain it to me. But wow, there was so much more depth to it. And then later on, people explained the importance of not being able to boast and how that shows that the thing that distinguishes man from man in terms of salvation must be something outside of them, not something within them. There's just so much more to learn about any given passage, any given passage that you might find line upon line, here a little, there a little. God's word is deep and meaningful. Let us not despise it. And so, as a punishment to this people, God fulfills their own words. They say the word is too wearisome. It becomes wearisome. They say that it's too easy to understand. God gives them something hard to understand. And here is the prophecy. For by people of strange lips and with foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. By people of strange lips and with foreign tongue. Now, Jeremiah 5.15 uses a similar phrase to describe enemy nations coming against the people. This is talking about the foreigners who will attack the people. Specifically, the people of Assyria will attack. They will attack and they will uh, reach all the way up to the neck, as it says in Isaiah 8. Now, the Lord does spare Judah ultimately, but uh, it is not without any kind of bloodshed. There is, there is indeed bloodshed as Assyria comes against the people. And so what have the people said? The people have said, this is too simple. This is too, this is too easy. This is something for little children. Now, that's often what people say about the word of God. That's what often what non-believers say about Christians, that they would, they would, you know, I understand that children need this, you know, being told what right and wrong is, but we who are more sophisticated have grown beyond the need for such things. Well, God fulfills that prophecy. If people if people say that it is too easy to understand, he makes them senseless to a point where uh, they cannot comprehend, where they are overwhelmed by his word. Here, you see that take place in the attack from the land of Assyria. But overall, this prophecy is fulfilled in other ways as well. It's fulfilled even when, uh, even when someone becomes more and more engaged in their own senselessness, more and more as they seek the pleasures of this world, and they become more and more senseless to the word of God as they reject it. You know, you should not, uh, when you hear the tug of the word, heed it quickly. Every moment that you cease to heed it is another moment that God could use to harden you, to make you more senseless against it. Paul cites this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, if you did not know. Uh, if you look in 1 Corinthians 14, he has some interesting things to say about the relevance of this verse to the gift of tongues. It says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. That was verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 14. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even though they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. You know, even the gift of tongues was a sign about God's judgment. God's people had rejected his word by and large. And there are many Jews who, who did believe, but many who didn't. And so God, in sending the gospel out to the nations, begins with Pentecost, uh, giving people this gift of tongues so that now... All different languages are being spoken. 
And yes, it is a sign of God's mercy on many, but it was a sign of judgment against that people who should have believed. So many people uh, reject the word of the Lord. They think they understand it. They think they, they believe the word of God, but in practice they are with their lives, with the way that they conduct themselves, failing to come to God's word for help, failing to recognize when someone offers them the word of God, failing to heed it, because they reject it, God hardens them and hardens them and makes them more and more senseless to his word. Do not delay. Do not delay in heeding his word, heeding his calls to repentance, because he is merciful. He's very merciful, as it says here, describing his great mercy. This is, to whom he has said, this is rest. Give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear it. He has offered the people rest. He has commanded the prophets and priests to give to the people rest, and yet they have not. God gives rest. God gives rest to all who repent. You know, repentance is not just, uh, once again, something we were talking about this morning. Repentance is not just turning away from sin because it's the right thing to do. Uh, repentance is recognizing the mercy of God and trusting that as you come to the Lord, he will be merciful. It doesn't matter how great your sin is. If you run from him, he will find you. If you run to him, he will be incredibly merciful. And this mercy is found ultimately in Jesus Christ. Uh, please, if you will, just turn a few, uh, I'm not sure how many pages it is, maybe a few dozen pages back to Isaiah 8. I would like you all to see that this, when it talks about the word of the Lord as prophesied through Isaiah, it is not merely talking about the spoken word. It is pointing forward to Jesus Christ, and that's, thankfully, Isaiah uh, there are so many hints and so many ways of seeing this. Other prophets, it's a lot more difficult to see here in Isaiah. There's uh, so much that clearly shows this. So in a moment, in verse 13 of Isaiah 28, Isaiah is going to talk about those who reject this line-upon-line word, that they will go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. And then here in Isaiah 8, it says, but the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. They shall fall and broken. They shall be snared and taken. That's the same language we see in Isaiah 28, verse 13. This stone of offense is the same as the word of the Lord given in Isaiah 28. And Matthew eleven forty four interprets who that is. That is Jesus Christ. He is the stone of offense that many stumble on. He is this word of the Lord. He is this thing that people consider line upon line, precept upon precept. He is this one who offers rest. He offers rest to the weary. You know, and that comes right after the passage in Matthew eleven twenty five 25 that says God opens the eyes of children, that he blinds the wise. As you see here, the prophet and priest who consider themselves so wise, they are blind. And he opens the eyes of children as they're accusing this word is being fit for children. And indeed, it is a word for those who come spiritually as children. And then immediately after that in Matthew 11 and verses 28 and 29, it says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Come to me all who desire rest. 
Those who come to Jesus Christ find rest. It doesn't matter uh, what the world says about Jesus, that he's, uh, he's just something for children. He's for those who uh, need psychological uh, comfort in this difficult world. It doesn't matter how much he is despised, how much his word is despised. It is still the case that Christ is good and he offers rest. And as it gives this command, give rest to the weary, it's a command for us as well. This is not just for those who are the highest of leaders, those who hold the office of prophet or priest or even the modern office of pastor or elder. It is instead for everyone. Give rest to those who are weary. Offer Jesus to everyone, especially if you have some role of authority. If you are a parent, your child needs to hear Jesus Christ. Your child needs to hear of this word. It might feel to you like line upon line, precept upon precept, but it is what they need to hear. And as you speak to adults, it might feel like line upon line, precept upon precept, but it is what they need to hear. And those who reject it, it does indeed become wearisome. Those who reject it as wearisome, it becomes wearisome to them. Those who reject Jesus Christ as wearisome, he will become wearisome to them in judgment. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. And this is what happens to all who stumble on that stone of offense. This is what happens to all who reject the word of the Lord. Their statement becomes true. They say it's too wearisome. It becomes too wearisome to them. They say he is too wearisome. He becomes too wearisome to them. But those who come as children, those who come to Jesus Christ looking for forgiveness, looking for forgiveness from their sins, recognizing how much in need they are of him, that every day they need to hear the simple word said over and over, or else they will lose it. To them, they receive rest. You need these simple words over and over. You need to be pointed to Jesus over and over. Go to his word daily. Go to the Bible daily. There you will find Jesus Christ. There you will find his simple words over and over, both his warnings, but more importantly, his promises of salvation. It is something you need to hear. We never get to a point where we know it and we don't need it anymore because sin still hides the truth. Sin suppresses the truth, and we in our own sinfulness suppress the truth that we know. That is why we need the word of the Lord to pierce through that cloud, to pierce through that fog, that spiritual inebriation. We need to keep sober minds going to the word of the Lord and finding Jesus Christ for rest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not find your word wearisome. I pray that we would not find your son wearisome, but that we would find your word as a place that points us to your son, one who gives rest. And God, as we come to him today, uh, acknowledging his great work of salvation, anticipating his forgiveness, and his mercy, anticipating eternal life and dwelling with him. I pray that you would reassure us of these things as we are a people who need that constant reassurance and that you would give us a great joy as we hope for his return. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.